You ready? Yeah. I'm ready. I'm excited. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Mid Round Table. Glad you're here. Imagination. What if the new series we're in? What if? I don't know where you're going with that. We're in Romans 8. What if? So as, as the days go sometimes, I wonder if you find yourself in a struggle, in a debate, in a struggle back and forth with another guy, maybe a fellow believer. I saw myself sitting on the sideline yesterday in one of these apps you have on your phone, a, a group me app. Lovely. And a discussion was going on in there. And it was like, man, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. I'm not sure I want to be involved in that. Can I keep my mouth closed? That's hard for me to do. What if I just sit on the sideline? <coughs> what if God had another plan for me? What if? Jeff, did you get that picture? I got you, brother. <laughs> so I was in Hattiesburg about three weeks ago. And saw this on the back of a traffic sign. <clears throat> Gender is my enemy. What does that even mean? <laughs> I'm confused. Now you're probably wondering, what does that have to do with this series? Well, it's probably more what the last series was. But then again, we think about things like that. We think they're out far away in, in California, New York, somewhere, not in Mississippi, not in Hattiesburg. Not here, not in Madison. Yeah, it's here. Yeah. Darkness is here. The what if? What if? First John. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. <clears throat> but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Just curious today, what if, what if we took our focus off the dark? What if we took our focus off the evil and we focused it on God? And that what first John is telling us to walk in the light. Darkness is a distraction. It's created by evil. Sarah draws us away from God. What if we put our attention on him? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity of gathering here. Lord, I thank you for my brothers. I thank you for the struggle we have. Lord, I thank you for the faithfulness of the men that come here every week. Thank you for Phil and the way he leads us sharing your word, God, mm. may we always remember it is you that we turn our eyes to. Mm -hmm. It is you that we have hope in. Mm. It's you who through your work on the cross 
redeemed us and restored us to the Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Morning, gentlemen. Um, before we get started, um, I'm going to ask my Yazoo City friends and anybody else uh, in the room, I meant to mention this to you again, Phil. Um, does anybody uh, know Jamie Parker, the Parker family um, up in Yazoo City? Um, Jamie is a table maker. Roy, do you know Jamie? I, I, not really, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I, uh, Jamie and I are kind of chasing each other right now. He's uh, uh, made some tables for... Um, William Stitt, and uh, William's been here before, and uh, William owns a restaurant down in um, Fairhope, and um, he made him some tables, and I saw William's uh, tables, and I covet William's tables, uh, so I confess my sins this morning, um, and so I'm uh, hoping that Jamie can make us some tables uh, for uh, Ebenezer Place, so um if you, if anybody, uh, Chad, maybe you know him, uh, but anybody knows uh, Jamie that can put in a good word for us, and when he talks to me that I've got a reference. Uh, this Phil Harden guy is a shady character, so I need a, re uh, I need a reference. I need a word. So uh, excited uh, to continue our uh, series, Imagination, uh, What If? Um, and as I mentioned to you last week, um, I want to offer us uh, some big songs uh, because this series is really inviting us into uh, see um, a big God, imagination. What if what God's doing is something that I had no idea that that was kind of what he was up to? Um, and I need to trust him. I need a big God. And so this morning I'm offering you an um, and by the way, keep sending me those songs. It's, it's great. So send me songs and I'll pick and choose and we'll keep um, uh, enjoying big songs as we uh, go through this series. So I'm offering you another big song um, this morning, uh, Break Every Chain by Tasha Cobbs. Uh, we're going to church this morning, gentlemen. Uh, the words, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain, to break every chain, break every chain. Oh, and by the way, break every chain. <laughs> May you hear the voice of God um, as we uh, dig in uh, to Romans 8 um, this morning. <clears throat> Say together. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Say there is power in the name of Jesus. Come on. To break every chain. Break every chain, break every chain, yeah. To break every chain, 
break every chain, break every chain. Let's say it together, there is power. There is power in the name of Jesus. You got it. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Yeah. To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. Declare and say, to break every chain, break every chain. Break every now somebody lift your hands in the air right here. See there's an army. We won't keep silent, say there's an army.
Amen. Amen. How about that, gentlemen? How about that? Yeah. I have to tell you a funny story about that. I, um, some of you know I was the director of men's ministry at First Pres years ago. And I, um, back in the Promise Keepers days, I loaded up a um, Greyhound bus. Walter, were you on that bus when we went to Promise Keepers? And uh, took a bunch of my First Pres buddies down to the uh, uh, Superdome to a Promise Keepers conference. And uh, they were singing stuff like that. And uh, my first prayers guys were all sitting around me. And, and just down below us on the right was a bunch of guys with yellow T-shirts on. And, it, and then something, I can't remember what it said, something like, I love Jesus or something like that. And these yellow T-shirt guys are going like this and all that. And a band was playing. And, and my first prayers guys were like. <laughs> they kept looking back at me like, what, what, what have you got us into? I said, gentlemen. This is worship right here. So, exciting stuff. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. The words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Look at your notes. Follow along with me as we read our introductory paragraph. Imagination. What if? Faith is an act of the imagination. And a healthy, vibrant imagination is crucial to the Christian life. Imagination is not the opposite of reality or the enemy of truth, quite the contrary. Our problem is not an overactive imagination. The real threat is a lack of imagination or an imagination stunted or misshaped by our experience. Some of us are stuck in, if only, living marked by regret, feelings of guilt, fear, and doubt. But God can turn your, if only, mindset into a what if attitude where your faith looks forward to the future with holy confidence. The Bible calls us to adopt an active imagination that helps us look beyond our experience like those who modeled a fearless faith before us. So this morning, um, the piece of uh, this puzzle that we're putting together on imagination, uh, we've entitled An Agent of Grace. What if God really has you here to be an agent of grace? I believe that is the intent of God, that you and I would be instrumental in spreading grace to a broken world. Uh, that somehow that which we have experienced the grace of God, we would be able to be carriers. It'd make COVID look like a head cold, which some of us believe it was anyway. Uh, but the idea um, that we would be instruments of grace 
uh, to others, critical piece. As I mentioned to you last week, as we began, I'm using two books as a resource. Uh, my sources of, of plagiarism uh, for this series are uh, Mark Batterson's uh, book, If, Trading Your If-Only Regrets for God's What-If Possibilities. So strongly encourage you to get Mark Batterson's book and, and uh, read it as we go through the series. And then uh, the other book is Imagination Redeemed, Glorifying God with a Neglected Part of Your Mind, Gene Veth and Matthew uh, Restucia, um, that I recommend to you. So pick up your pen. Let's do some journaling, active listening. Um, I've got three questions for you. The question uh, that I'll pose to you each week and then have a, an, a, um, um, an addendum to it is, what if you're one decision away from a totally different life? What if, what if you're facing a decision today that if you choose the right door, door number one, door number two, or door number three, and you get it right, it would change your life. And so here's the suggestion of that decision that I would have for you this morning. What if you started acting like an agent of grace, looking for opportunities to love people what they le when they least expect it and least deserve it? Who does God bring to your mind that may need an expression of grace given to them? Beat up, um, guilty, fearful. Who do you know in your circle that you might be the very agent of grace that they need. Who does God bring to your mind? Uh, I guarantee they are there. They're there in your life. Carl and I uh, had the privilege of doing one, another one of our couples workshop this past weekend. And what we often say in the couples workshop is that you're not responsible for your partner's growth, uh, but you're responsible to your partner to be an agent of change, uh, to be an agent of grace. Um, I have grown more through my wife's uh, grace, forgiveness, than any other expression of God's grace uh, around. I wouldn't be standing here uh, if it wasn't for a strong, strong wife. Uh, I'm very grateful, but agent of grace. Second question that I'd ask you, what if only regret might be God's invitation to your what if possibilities? So what are you ashamed of, guilty of, fearful of, afraid to tell me? If I called you up front and I said, uh, tell us your story, you would make sure you didn't tell that part, right? but maybe that's the very part that you need to tell. That's the regret. I'm so afraid somebody's gonna find out about it. Sit with a gentleman um, in my counseling office this week and he's working through a full disclosure of uh, infidelity. And he's so afraid, so afraid, so afraid. 
you know, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, dude, there ain't, ain't nothing. You know, you ought to hear my story or the stories of the guys that sit in Thursday morning's round table and have been to deer camp and fish camp. That if only regret might be the very what if possibility that God wants to use in a dynamic way. What comes to your mind? If somehow you could turn that shameful, guilty, fearful, despairing part of you into a redemptive story, what might that be? Third question, simple question. Who do you need to forgive? But yeah, Phil, you don't know. Uh -uh. you, you don't realize what they did to me, what she did to me, what he did to me. Who do you need to forgive? Break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain. I want you to turn to your partner and interact over those three questions. You can share whatever level of vulnerability and openness you want to. Uh, what comes to your mind? Take a couple minutes. Uh, share and interact over those three questions. Go.
All right, gentlemen, let's uh, pull back together. And if you really like the guy you were talking to, invite him to coffee and buy him a cup of coffee and continue the conversation. Imagination. What if? What if every circumstance, every relationship, good, bad, and ugly, is intended by God to be an instrument um, of grace um, in your life? Imagination is crucial to the Christian life. And through this series, just to be clear, when I'm using um, the word imagination, I'm talking about trusting God, faith. Imagination is a synonym for faith. Faith is that which we trust somehow with our eyes closed. We can't see it. It's the assurance that there's something better out there. There's evidence um, that there's something better from uh, our past. And when we close our eyes, we have hope because we have imagination and we trust God. When I open my eyes and I start trying to figure things out, it scares me to death. I'm in despair. I lose hope. I need to walk around more seeing through the eyes of my heart. It's what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1. May you see with the eyes of your heart. May you see something different. So prophets, Jesus and Thomas, give us a good model of that. The prophets, when the biblical writers uh, call us to face, they're calling us to reject just the world that we see. And again, consider when these prophets, Hosea, Malachi, you know, the Italian prophet, Malachi, you know, um, these guys were prophesying um, the Israelites were in a bad way in Babylon. They're in, encouraging the people to create an active imagination and see what God sees. When the prophets looked around them, they saw the same thing that everybody else sees. They saw injustice, sin, and unrighteousness. And if you want to sit around and dwell on injustice, sin, and unrighteousness in the crazy culture that we're in, knock yourself out. But I guarantee it's going to rob you of life. What's going to happen is you're going to start feeling despair. You will feel despair. Um, I mean, I've actually had guys in my office who were experiencing despair and depression. And one of the things they told me is that they watch the evening news religiously. Now, I get paid a lot of money to help people. And you know what I told these guys? Cut the TV off. <laughs> you know, I, I went to graduate school to figure that out, Roy. <laughs> you know, 
Cut the TV off. Cut the TV off. Because you will move into despair and depression and you'll start coming up with crazy stuff in your head. Um, but the prophets being aware of what was going around them, when they prophesied, um, what happened as the, is the people began to have hope in the midst of that dark setting, much worse than what you and I have, you know, much worse. I mean, they were uh, refugees living in a foreign country. They had to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall and rebuild the temple and all that kind of stuff. I want you to turn over to the clean part of your Bible, to Habakkuk. You know, you've been hanging out in Habakkuk, right? You got a page number on that? That's right. That's right. A page number. Choose Habakkuk. Um, Habakkuk. This is such a beautiful passage, and uh, this is the passage that John Newton uh, preached at his wife's funeral. Now, Google it. Um, um, John Newton fell in love with his wife when he was a slave trader. And his, and, uh, his, wife's, uh, his future wife's daddy forbid John Newton to date his wife. And he was actually crawling in the window, literally sneaking in to hang out with his future wife. And they finally got married after John Newton was completely consumed by God's grace. God changed his life, changed his heart. John Newton, obviously everybody knows that he wrote the, 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 the hymn, Amazing Grace. And we're talking about being an agent of grace this morning. And when John Newton's wife um, died, this is what he preached. Now imagine, losing your wife, losing um, uh, the one that you love the most. Now, some of you, if you lost your wife, well, that's a different story. <laughs> but, you know, losing somebody that you really don't want to lose. Though the cherry tree, uh, this is verse 17. Jeff's got it up there. Yep. Habakkuk 3.17, though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, though the apples are worm-eaten and the wheat fields stunted, though the sheep pens are sheepless and the cattle barns empty, I'm singing joyful praise to God. I'm turning cartwheels of joy in my Savior God, counting on God's rule to prevail. I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. That's what John Newton preached in his most lowest point in his life. It takes some imagination, does it not? Take some imagination. Jesus. What would we expect from Jesus? 
you know, but it takes imagination to follow Jesus. Um, Jesus calls us to even more demanding act of imagination. But the difference in Jesus is he didn't say like the prophets, the day is coming. You know what Jesus said? The day has come. The kingdom of God is here now. Now. And then Jesus' famous sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the one given on horseback. Sermon on the Mount. Um, Matthew, uh, bada boom. I'll be here all week. Tapes are in the back. Um, Matthew chapter 5, and I forgot to give you this one, Jeff, but um, look at Matthew chapter 5. Just imagine again, you're sitting on a hillside. Jesus climbs up to kind of the top of the hill. Uh, I, uh, you know, George Whitfield uh, preached before 30,000 people. He had such a booming voice. Uh, somehow uh, Jesus could do at least that, if not more. Um, and he preached. Now listen to this. Do you really believe this? I mean, this takes some imagination to get your hands around this. Verse three, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. What? That takes some imagination. Dude, I, 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 get me out of this. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God in his rule. That's what God's doing. What if? What if he's putting more of uh, himself in you? Verse 4, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Maybe he's taken something out of your life just so he could put more of himself in that place. Verse 5, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. I found myself. I began to understand who I was, my identity, who I really was. I quit trying to be something that I ain't, that I was never intended to be. Verse six, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. I finally acquired a taste for God. Changed my life, right? Verse seven, you're blessed when you care at the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. In verse 8, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. In verse 9, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Man, pride and selfishness, wanting to be right, needing to be right, um, puts um, walls between us. 
And when we start sharing how broken we are and we're just more comfortable with being broken than being right, it bonds us together. That's what we see happen at deer camp and fish camp. You know, nobody comes out there to deer camp at Ebenezer Place and brings their golf trophies or their basketball trophies. I've got a box. Well, I had a box of basketball trophies, but Carla made me throw, throw them away when we moved to Fairhope. I've been carrying them around for years. You know, through those things in the, in the uh, you know, it's just basketball trophies when you won in the seventh grade and the ninth grade. They're just obsolete. And everything that we have at one point becomes obsolete, like old basketball trophies. You know, it don't matter. But it does matter that we are agents of grace to one another. Quit trying to be right. And just be yourself. And then Thomas. Think about Thomas. You know, the Apostle Thomas, he lacked imagination. He was from Missouri. You know, <laughs> show me. If I can't see it, I can't believe it. The other apostles had seen the risen Lord and they told him so. But Thomas only trusted in his own experience. Unless I see it, unless I put my hands in his side, I ain't going to see it. And when, when Jesus confronted Thomas, Jesus said, blessed are those who haven't seen me that believe you've seen me. And he invited Thomas to put his finger in the nail holes. And scripture does not indicate that Thomas did that. It didn't say, and, and, and Thomas stuck his finger in the hole. It, it, it just seems to imply that Thomas was humbled and he got it. And he said, Yeah, my Savior and my God. Right, Jeff? So cool. What you see with your eyes closed, the possibilities that somehow God, God is working in your life through those circumstances and those relationships. An agent of grace. So turn over to Romans chapter 8. As I've said to you, that this whole series is really a journey through Romans 8. And I would invite you to read it and read it. And those of you who are really um, ambitious, memorize it. Memorize all of Romans 8. Romans 8, just verse 1, such a powerful verse. Verse 1 says this, With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah that fateful dilemma is resolved. And the, and the dilemma is, is, of course, referring to what's just come. And the dilemma is trying to do what I want to do, uh, trying to do what I know I should do. But as Romans 7 says, I can't even live up to my own standard. I can't even be consistent with what I believe I should be doing, much less what God wants me to do. Who sets me free from that? It's Jesus. And, then he, and so then he comes down to verse 8. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma, that schizophrenic lifestyle is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. You're free. In your study Bible, 
that, of course, I'm reading from the message, obviously, but in your study Bible, it says, there is therefore now, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. An agent of grace. I've experienced grace. Now go share it with somebody else. If you've been forgiven, you ought to be a forgiver. You, you, you have no condemnation, therefore stop giving condemnation. Somebody asks uh, for bread, you give them a snake, as Jesus says. No, generous in grace. But, you know, so many of us are a prisoner of our past. Even when we've confessed our sin, we still feel condemned. And that feeling of condemnation undermines the fact that God is for us. We keep beating ourselves up. We keep sabotaging ourselves. Man, that word, sabotage. I see it in my counseling office all the time, all the time. Sabotage. Even when things are going good, I can't stand it. I got to blow it up because the only thing I'm comfortable with is chaos. And I'll create chaos just so I feel secure in my familiar way of living life. See it all the time. It's crazy. The only exit is fully accepting, understanding, and believing the life-changing truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Have you experienced that? I'm free from my past. I don't have to live in my past. I'm not a prisoner of my own memory. I am free. No condemnation. Because of one act of grace. One act of grace. Grace is the catalyst that turns guilt into gratitude. See, guys, Scripture teaches that I don't need more of knowing what I should do or what I shouldn't do. You know what I need? More grace. Romans chapter 5, the last three verses, read it. Uh, I won't take time to read it. But it says, grace versus the law, what wins is grace. I don't believe that you or I need more uh, of what I need to do or, or shouldn't be doing, I need to know I'm accepted. I'm forgiven. And I guarantee that the people in your life that you're having difficulty with need the same. And probably from you. One act of grace can turn their worst moment into the defining moment of someone's life. You can be that agent of grace. Grace can turn your greatest, if only regret, into a wonderful what-if possibility. Mitsuo Fushida, or Fushida was the um, commanding officer that led the attack on Pearl Harbor on December the 7th, 1941. In April, Jacob DeSager was eager to strike back, and he was a part of uh, Doolittle's um, um, Raiders, and he flew a bomber, a B-25 bomber called Bat Out of Hell, 
on a dangerous raid over Japan. And coming out of Japan, he ran out of gas and he had to parachute out and he was picked up by the Japanese. And he was imprisoned. So that was 1942. Two years later, in a prison, he was given a Bible. And um, he was told, you can keep it for three weeks, said the guard. And DeShazer grabbed it and he clutched it and he read it and memorized it and he read it and he came to Christ in that Japanese prison. After the war, uh, DeShazer became a missionary to Japan. And um, he wrote a book, uh, wrote a test, his testimony is entitled, I Was a Prisoner of the Japanese. And DeShazer um, established a church in Japan in the city that he bombed. And one man in particular, deeply affected by DeShazer's testimony, was led to Christ by Glenn Wagner, another missionary. And shortly afterward, the man paid a visit to Jacob DeShazer at his home. And the two became dear friends and brothers. And that man's name was Suo Fushiata, who had led the Pearl Harbor attack. Wow, an agent of grace. I want you to meet Jacob DeShazer. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you this important bulletin from the United Press. Flash, Washington. The White House announces Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. The Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor brought America into the war. Its angry citizens wanted a swift retaliation. Less than six months later, a band of B-25 crews called Doolittle's Raiders brought that vengeance, bombing Tokyo and other cities. Jacob DeShazer was a bombardier on one of those planes, and he unleashed his hatred with each bomb he dropped. Well, I didn't care if every person in Japan got killed at that time. That was a bitterness and a resentment and anger in my heart. The more it got killed, the better, I thought. Sergeant DeShazer didn't know that his destiny was tied to the people he was trying to destroy. His plane ran out of fuel, and he parachuted into the hands of the Japanese. He spent more than three years in a prisoner of war camp, beaten, starved, and tortured. DeShazer was dying of despair, loneliness, and bitterness when he was given a Bible. And I looked down there at the Bible, and there was Romans 10, 9, and it said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It just hit me right then. And I know that God touched me and gave me that faith, and that's a gift. And uh, I got that gift of God, and I sensed the living presence of Jesus. And it, it wasn't just what the Bible said. I knew that Jesus is alive. Even though he was still a prisoner, DeShazer was now free of the hatred that ruled his life. It just seemed like uh, I didn't have any more bitterness or resentment or hatred. And uh, I loved them. You know, I began to feel sorry for them because they were... Uh, losing the war at that time, I could tell. DeShazer was set free in August 1945. Three years later, he returned to Japan as a missionary. It's reported that thousands of Japanese came to Christ during his first year as a missionary. 
but for DeShazer, no conversion was more miraculous than this man's, Mitsuo Fushida. He's the pilot who led the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Fushida read a tract DeShazer wrote about his conversion. He was so moved that he bought a Bible and asked Jesus to come into his heart. And then later on, he came down to my home and uh, he said, I want to be a Christian. And so he got baptized. That's the way it happened to Fujita. Together, the once bitter enemies ministered the gospel in Japan, bound together by the love of Jesus Christ. Fushida died in 1976. Now DeShazer will be remembered as a hero who died to himself and loved the enemy for God's glory. God is good, and uh, I just feel like I, I can't praise him enough. An agent of grace. An agent of grace. You and I may not have the same kind of dynamic story that the Shazer uh, can offer. Uh, you may just be the normal guy living every day, but there's nothing normal about the plan that God has for your life. It's unique. It's personal. He makes you and makes me an agent of the grace that we've experienced. But we've got to get the past out of our present. We keep repeating the past. You know, God uh, freed the Israelites in one day. But it was 40 years and 381 miles later that they truly begin to experience their freedom. And they got to a place called Gilgal after 40 years. And God said in Exodus, he said, today I've rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. For 40 years, they walked around in shame. For 40 years, they walked around in shame, stuck in their past. They were free, but they saw themselves as slaves. And that's so often the way we experience our past. You know, as I mentioned to you last week, oftentimes our regrets are not the things that we have done. Those are kind of the things we sit around the fire and laugh about when we're free. Oh, yeah, you remember that? Remember that? The regrets are typically the things that we have not done. And a lot of the not done, the what if possibilities, is beginning to see how God can use his redemptive story in our lives, an agent of grace. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to give, forgive? And where do you need to receive forgiveness? By the way, as I've said to you many times before, I don't think it's possible to forgive yourself. Nowhere in scripture does it say forgive yourself. It says receive forgiveness. Humble yourself and then forgive as you have been forgiven. And so oftentimes the reason that you and I have difficulty forgiving is because we take a grandiose, prideful position over the people that have hurt us. And that is so wrong. I struggle with that. You struggle with that. But I want to be an agent of grace. Don't you? Don't you?
chew on that. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Uh, thank you, uh, Lord, that you have uh, wiped away uh, this crazy slavery and condemnation uh, that we have been subject to by the enemy. Free us so that we can be agents of grace to others and to experience it ourselves. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.